0: Hi folks, Steve Urban here, founder and CEO at Riderflex. We hope you enjoy today's podcast. And as a reminder, please subscribe to the Riderflex show for updates on new episodes. And by the way, if you haven't already, check out the book we recently launched, The Riderflex Guide, Inspiring and Hiring, available for purchase on Amazon. And now a quick word from our sponsor.
1: Try the number one marketing platform for small business. Everything you need from design to marketing to CRM. Learn more at marketing360.com. Marketing 360, fuel your brand.
0: Christine, should I call you Dr. Lum Lung Dr. Lum-Lung, or should I call you Christine? Please call me Christine. Okay. Uh, I love the name, by the way. Lum Lung. Lum Lung. That's a yeah. great, great name. Fairly uh, unique. totally uh do people do your friends call you doctor or they call you christine
1: they call me christine
0: (laughs) how about your family
1: um they actually call me christine as well my um my dad used to call me chris um long 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 time ago but lengthened out into the mature name of christine
0: (laughs) tell me about your family and where you grew up a little bit give me some uh, early history if you don't mind
1: um, yeah, very early. Um, my dad was in the military, so I was actually born overseas. Um, okay. so I was born in Germany. In fact, I had dual citizenship until I was 18. Oh, cool. Um Yeah. And then they give you a choice. And I thought it'd be cool to choose the German citizenship. And my mom's like, No. She's like, You have no idea what kind of problems you'll create. But anyway, okay. I carried a dual citizenship for a couple of years. But grew up in Colorado, uh, really for the most of my life. We spent some time on the East Coast in New Jersey. Um, I come from a family. Uh, my parents both worked growing up. My mom was a pediatric ICU nurse and then went ah. and got her NP um, nurse practitioner degree in pulmonary and worked actually at National Jewish down in Denver. Okay. And my dad was an engineer and he worked um, for, he was a communication specialist with um, US West Quest, the gamut. I forget what it is right now. CenturyLink.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: I have three sibs. Um, I'm the second. So, I have an older brother who's also a physician. He's an ER physician. Okay. I have a uh, younger younger brother who is a college counselor to prep school out in San Jose. And then a sister who's been the jack of all trades. She's an accountant by training, homeschooled, taught, does a little bit of everything.
0: Does she happen to be a, a CPA as well? Yes. Uh, is she looking for a career change? I'm trying to fill <laughs> one of the.
1: <laughs> I'll ask her.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you know. Rider, Rider Flex, we have the podcast, of course, but our day job is a recruiting and staffing firm. And uh, a good friend of mine, who is also our tax accountant for the company, is in Fort Collins. Where she live? In Colorado Springs. Ah, oh, bummer. Well, never mind. Anyway, I've been trying to fill the tax account spot for him. So <laughs> okay. uh, your, parent, your, your parents must be super proud, right? They have to be.
1: I, I hope, yes, they are. My parents are incredible. I mean, they're they're just such a blessing. They, I tell people, you know, and I know we'll get into origin a little bit later, but when I um, told them the idea about origin, it was, you know, in the middle of a pandemic, healthcare was, you know, just suffering in so many ways. And I approached my parents and said, I think I'm going to leave my company that I started, secure a job, and I'm going to go launch this startup thing. And You know, any good self-respecting parents would have been like, what are you doing? Have you thought about your economic safety? My parents were like, that is incredible. Absolutely. You should do that. Um, So from day one, um, they've been, and that's, that's how they've been my entire life. They're just such amazing parents and such great support. Uh, Never let us believe there
0: wasn't anything that we couldn't do. That's awesome. They're still, still married, still healthy, still
1: yeah, they're still definitely still married. They're such a great couple. My mom's had some health issues um, these last couple of years, which have been really, um, really stressful in the family. And it's been mm-hmm. very eye opening for me as a daughter um, who's a physician. Um, definitely gives you that empathy for um, being on the caregiver side of healthcare um, mm-hmm. and how difficult healthcare is for patients and families.
0: Mm, totally. Are they in Northern Colorado? Because I think you lo- do you live in Fort Collins.
1: I do. Um, they lived in the Littleton area. and We actually um, they just moved down to Phoenix within the last half year okay. Um, okay. where my brother is. So they're closer to my brother, grandkids, all the sporting events and school activities to keep Papa busy. So and
0: warmer in the winter
1: <laughs> and super hot now, having just been down there, <laughs> 115 smoking degrees. I actually practiced and I worked in Arizona for a while, but oh, it's been. Yeah, it's been a bit. So it's definitely
0: hot. Yeah, I'm not a fan. In Arizona in the summertime, no, I'm not, no. Uh
1: But they have great winters, (laughs) to your point. They have great winters.
0: Totally. Uh, I live, I don't know if you know this, but I live off the Johnstown exit just south of Loveland. So we and you, we're were pretty close. We're neighbors. We're neighbors, absolutely. Uh, How about this construction in Northern Colorado the last few years? Crazy, right?
1: Love it. Yeah. (laughs) Such a fan of it. (laughs) It makes travel super predictable, like smooth sailing all the time.
0: I had some people, I had some people coming from California to see us and they get here and he's like, man, he's like, your whole state's under construction.
1: Oh my gosh. Doesn't (laughs) it feel like that's always the way? Yeah. Um, I'll be happy when it's done.
0: And totally. Uh, When we first moved to Johnstown, had one stoplight. And, and you know there was nothing up there by thirty four and I twenty five were yeah. shields on. It was not none of that was there. You know.
1: I know. I know. I've been here eighteen years now, and same thing. Like it yeah. has grown exponentially.
0: Crazy. Um, okay, so were you always the straight A student, <laughs> perfect kid? Like you know, they knew you were going to be a doctor. Never did anything wrong. Did Christine ever? Is there any like rebel stuff in here you can share with us? I mean, come on. <laughs> All right. Who's been taught? Talk- I,
1: um, I will not lie that I was that straight arrow. Good kid. I won't okay. even tell you a story, but my brother-in-law listens to this. He'll know the story of what happened when I showed up to okay. college as the goody goody, but, um, <laughs> uh, I didn't always get straight A's biochem killed me in college. I hated bio, So All that right. was not straight A, but, um okay. I was definitely more of the straight and narrow girl, I'm not going to lie. Um and I okay. knew from 6th grade that I wanted to be a doctor.
0: Um, really? Wow. Yeah. Cuz um, your mom, I mean your mom influenced you there a bunch, I guess. I'm sure.
1: Um actually interestingly enough, she told me not to go into healthcare. I mean my really? mom had the foresight years ago to know how much healthcare was going to change and how chaotic it was going to be. But like any good daughter, you know, you don't listen to your mom and you just say <laughs> You said not go into healthcare. I'll go into healthcare. Um, so, I mean, her being, a, a, you know, in the healthcare field and watching, you know, her lead with that servant heart um, definitely played into the choice.
0: Okay, very good. So you knew you were going to be a doctor the whole time. You got into Yale after CU, right? I mean, wow! Hey, congratulations. That's a big deal.
1: So Yale was my um,
0: executive MBA,
1: So my MBA program that I just did, I entered into that, and that will go into the origin. Um, Well, the origin story of origin, Um, but I did that in 2019. So signed up to do that before we knew what was about to happen. Um, So it was commuting out to Yale every other weekend uh, for what was basically the full gamut of the MBA program, you know, collapsed into a crash weekend and then, you know, a bunch of work, but it was an incredible experience. I met some amazing people. We ended up going online for, you know, once March, 2020 hit we mm-hmm. were no longer obviously traveling. Um, and people will tell me like, that probably helps you quite a bit. I would, I would have given anything to still travel out there every other weekend. Just the the fellowship and the networking was incredible.
0: You recommend for the listeners, this is probably a good, uh, give them a little tip here. You know, when I first made it to C level, I ran a couple of companies before starting rider Rider flex. And, uh, had several conversations, people were like, Hey, you need to go get your executive MBA. And I'm like, I'm like, I don't have time to breathe. I'm running a $40 million company here. I'm, I'm like, I can't even, what are you talking about? <laughs> you yeah. know. But was it worth it? I mean, do you recommend it? Great question. So I think every
1: individual needs to really decide, you know, to your point, I was running, I was the uh, solo founder and CEO of an independent hospital medicine company that I ran up here for 16 years before going to origin and didn't have my MBA doing that. Now, one could argue, should I have done that without an MBA? Um so I don't know that you absolutely needed it. I would say, and you know, it's a debate for physicians quite a bit. You know, if you're mm. looking to sort of mm. move into other things that are not direct patient care, do you need it? I would say for me and for people in healthcare, one of the values I think is expanding your network. You know, our entire cr- trajectory, apparently for me from sixth grade, was all about healthcare. You know, you go and or me, all about sort of this healthcare path. You go into med school, you go into residency, fellowship. And it's all prescriptive. And so you're really only meeting healthcare people. Um, so mm-hmm. going mm-hmm. to Yale was fantastic to meet people outside of healthcare to learn different perspectives. And then I would say, often as clinicians in healthcare, we're told that we can't fix healthcare because we don't understand. We don't understand how it works. So just uh, go see patients and let the rest of us. And so I knew that I needed that uh, tool in my toolbox I see. to even open doors for people to believe that I had what it take to, you know, to innovate and drive the change that we're looking for.
0: Did you have an entrepreneurial bug or an entrepreneurial spirit? I mean, you you were practicing and then you were like, oh, I'm going to start my own thing sooner or later. How did that even happen? Yeah. Um.
1: So I never intentionally set out. And then, you know, to say that I was going to be an entrepreneur, I would say, you know, the first one was my first company. So I was practicing in Arizona. Right. We were talking yeah. about Arizona a little bit for about four years with a hospital medicine company that I joined right after I finished residency. Okay. And then started this, you know, I call it the voice in the back of my head. There were things that I did not like about how the group was working and other things about the system. And I got that voice saying, well, if I could start my own group, this is what I would do differently. Started looking to see, you know, what else was out there about coming home to Colorado was given the opportunity to start a program here in the fort collins area oh how,
0: how? what do you mean what is what does that mean define that for the listeners given an opportunity yeah it, yeah so
1: honestly i was looking i was trying to decide about coming back to colorado was okay. just looking on job boards and there was a posting honestly it was Poudre valley hospital at the time that said looking to start a hospitalist program it was as ironic as that um, i was coming out and was was interviewing in denver had three interviews set up and so i called and said oh, i have half a day left um that i can squeeze you guys in drove up. Um, they said, you know, we're looking to start a program you've been running, you know, you've had a program experience for a couple of years. You want to take this and run with it. And so I sort of put my money where my mouth is. I took a massive pay cut. I mean, there's something for your listeners, right? You know, when you're looking at, you know, moving, you may not, it may not always be incrementally, um, from a revenue standpoint, looks like there's gains, but sometimes you sort of have to step to the side in order to keep moving up. So took a significant pay cut to come here and start the group, um, wow. but the value of being able to run and create the program the way that I wanted to was fantastic. So super proud of the, the company that I created. I ran that for 16 years and then that voice came back um, and I was having these very difficult conversations with patients where I felt like all I could say was, yeah, I know our healthcare system stinks, doesn't it? And that voice was like, well, why don't you go do something about it then, right? You have the business experience, you have the clinical experience, so go out there and see what to do. So when I went to Yale, honestly, I told my group I was going to leave at the end of the MBA program, but I didn't know yet what it was going to do. I wasn't going there to start Origin. I was going there to make healthcare better and just said, I'm going to be open to whatever that means, whatever comes my way. And then through a series of events we can talk about a little later, it was very evident that Origin was what that was going to look
0: like. Would you, you were the founder at the hospitalist program, right? You had, uh, you had equity, you owned it, you had, were you a majority equity holder? How does that even work? Can, for the, from, for a, for the listeners, a kind of a commoner cap table ownership perspective, can you describe how that even works? Sure, this is, this is different
1: than the traditional. If someone's listening to this, thinking about like sort of the VC startup or how Origin is gonna work, we didn't yeah. set that up to be an investable. This was for me, I wanted to create an amazing physician practice that people yeah. loved and wanted to work in, that we would grow and that did all of the things that the providers in there needed it to do. You know, Give them a good stable job, honor the time that they want with their family. So all the physicians were owners, essentially. You would come in as a junior partner employed and then after your first year, the partnership would vote you in. We didn't want any pyramid scheme or anything. We wanted everyone to be very bought in. And I think it was there were fewer and fewer hospitalist groups that were physician owned throughout the time that we ran because it's really complicated to run a practice. There's a lot with electronic medical records, there's a lot of regulatory. Our That's group true. said having that ownership experience. It's just going to be better for everyone. It's going to be better for the patient, better for the people that are working here. And so we were an independently owned group when there were a few inferior groups. And we really were able to then pull people into that practice who had sort of that ownership, you know, bug themselves.
0: Wow. Now your role there, you weren't really, were you still seeing patients or were you just running into business? I was doing both.
1: both. I was working clinically full-time and running the practice full-time.
0: Wow. Okay. Yeah, you were busy. Okay.
1: (laughs) Got a little busier when the MBA program started too. And then, you know, COVID, as I tell people, I think the most formidable time that I can ever talk about in my entire career was I was transferring, you know, I was leaving the company at the end of 20, the beginning of 21. So I basically had to take 16 years of my CEO experience and transfer it to the incoming CEO. We were in the middle of a pandemic and we were a hospitalist group. So, our docs were at the front line of this very unknown pandemic. You know, I was having to fight for PPE for them to get them safety, worried about their safety. How do we Mm. schedule Mm. um, going to school at that time, you know, and still practicing? So, those are the times I look back and think if I can get through that. I can pretty much get through
0: anything. Did you, did point. you, um, what was your social situation? Did you have a family? <laughs> did you, would you have relationships? Yeah. Were you, were, yeah, what, what was going on with that?
1: Yeah, I don't, I'm, I don't, I'm not married. So that okay. there is a, you know, there is a lot. I think when I talk to my female founder friends who have a husband and children, I mean, yeah. that's a whole nother level oh. now. It, it, it's nice to have that support crew with you as built in support crew, you know, <laughs> somebody do those dishes in the sink, please. Um, but at the same time, you know, I can sort of drive my schedule um, and not have to worry about, you know, getting some to school in the morning. So incredible, oh. incredible admiration, especially for those female founders out there who are oh. founding companies and running, you know, a household.
0: Well, yeah, I'm thinking about you and I've been, a, I've been a CEO. So, I know the life uh it it can be a lonely stressful life uh and if you were single the whole time you're at home those nights when you're at home you're laying in bed you're you're nobody to talk to (laughs) you
1: my family is a huge my family still doesn't screen my calls for whatever crazy reason they haven't put a block on my phone calls so my my sibs and my parents uh will always take a call and then i think just you know find yourself an incredible co-founder um
0: did you have a co-founder at the first time, so, at the first one?
1: Uh, not with the first one. Okay, um, okay. I they okay. the hospital was already looking to recruit, and so there were That's two right. new residents that came out, but they That's were fresh right. out of residency. So I was the one that had the business experience and basically did the structuring of the business of its the practice okay. itself.
0: Okay, uh, for for the listeners, and I probably should know this based on my trying to study you uh, last night and this morning, but um, when you were seeing patients, was it? General care, was it specialized in certain areas? Do you mind sharing that with the listeners? Uh,
1: So a hospitalist is somebody who doesn't have an office. They actually see people in the hospital. So your primary care doc may see you in the office and say, you know, Steve, you need to be admitted for pneumonia. Mm -hmm. You would be admitted to me in the hospital. I would take care of you for your pneumonia and that it would transition your care back to your regular outpatient doc. So we're sort of the inpatient arm of people's primary care The hospitalist, uh, you know, there are different arms of it, but traditionally we are adult medicine and we basically, the easiest way is we don't take care of people that are requiring surgery. We can consult on them or having babies, but heart failure, pneumonia, infections, dehydration, anything um, on your medical surgical unit will be covered by a hospitalist. And really those are the patients that we're actually looking to take care of as well with origin. So that's where that translates.
0: Yeah, very good. Um, before we get into origin, a couple of questions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've always kind of wondered how that works. I appreciate you sharing that with the group. You, I, I would guess most of the list, listeners don't actually know how that works. Yeah, I've always kind of wondered. So yeah, my family doctor says go over to Greeley and check in. And then all of a sudden I got two or three other doctors coming in and, you know, I, I didn't hospital really know.
1: Medicine, yeah, I think, you know, hospital medicine, when I started the group here 18 years ago, it was still very new. Um, So I had to go around and tell people like, this is why you would want to admit to a separate group. And in the beginning, there were people that said, Hey, we'll never admit to, you know, a group we don't know. And now hospital medicine is so ubiquitous that through us, almost every hospital has it because the outpatient world has gotten so busy and stressful. You know, they're seeing panels of 20, 30 patients a day. How do you have time to stop you in the middle of the day, go admit one of your patients to the hospital, get back and pick your clinic up again take home no phone calls. Yeah. And, you know, we're in the hospital, so we can see people. If you get admitted at 3 a.m., you're yeah. going to get the same exact care and treatment as if you got admitted at 3 p.m. because there's somebody there to see you right away. And so yeah. the that primary care space really involved into outpatient and inpatient being their own specialties.
0: Did you like the, once you started the business aspect and running a, a company administratively from the CEO chair, if you had to force rank it, did you like the business aspect more than seeing the patients? Um, I will always be a physician at the core. I mean, that's why I went into healthcare
1: there. Okay. I, and it grounds me so much when I have a patient encounter. Um, so I will always treat patients clinically. I like the business aspect of it because I liked being able to say it is possible to create a program with high integrity and run this the way that we need to answer patients. I mean, that being able to actually have an idea and be able to develop it and bring people on board um, was fantastic. Now, you know, as a CEO, there are CEO jobs and roles that I would love to not have done as the CEO. So it's not all great, right? <laughs> you, the buck stops there with you and um, yeah, you definitely yes. have to be ha- able to handle the bad and the good. But um, but I liked both of them, but I'll, I'll always be a physician at my core.
0: You said something right there. You said, use the word grounded. Yeah, anytime. I visit a hospital for whatever reason, right? Man, I always, I always come out of there just kind of humbled, grateful. I don't know all those other words where I'm just like, okay, I'm breathing. I'm pretty healthy. I'm starting my Jeep. I'm driving away. Like, Oh man, there's a lot of people in this, that building not doing that right now, you know? And Mm -hmm. so yes, very, Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I get it. I totally get it. Um, okay. So, what were you, So, congratulations uh, on what you built, right? The hospitalist, I mean, congratulations on building that. You were there for 17 years. What was it you were seeing? What was it, what was bothering you to say, I want to do something else? Kind of walk us through that a little bit.
1: Yeah, there would be different scenarios where, um, you know, it could be. So I, I told the story of our first patient we had with origin um, because she actually reflects. So, you know, a okay. patient who came in struggling to breathe. She was diagnosed with a heart failure exacerbation they said you need to be admitted for treatment and said she said i can't she has an adult son at home his mental health treatment means she has to give him his medicines and so she said if i end up in the hospital he'll get worse the cops will be called i can't do this and so here's someone that was Mm -hmm. sacrificing her own health she wanted to get better but we weren't giving her options to do Mm -hmm. that we Mm -hmm. would have people in the hospital who separated from their loved ones, you know, would have a lot of anxiety and depression. Mm. Um, They'd be in the hospital, you know, other patients would come in and because unfortunately people don't get up and move around as much in the hospital. Now all of a sudden they need a nursing home. And when they came in fully ambulatory, we've had patients who left against medical advice because their pet was home and there was no one to take care of them. I just kept seeing that there was all of these situations where we weren't providing patients with options. I describe it as like we had created this binary system in healthcare that you're either inpatient or outpatient, then there's nothing in between. Mm. And really, really felt like there was this opportunity, especially because the literature and people doing this overseas for decades, there is this new wedge of healthcare. It doesn't need to be inpatient or outpatient. We can create this new space where you're getting inpatient level care in the comfort of your home and do it much better. And so that was, for me, transformative to say, there. Are, this has to be something where we can really meet our patients' needs decide what they need and then build the support system around them instead of you know basically anchoring them to a facility and then building the needs around them. It's not what it, and then we know, like access is such an issue for people. People, rural communities don't have hospitals that they can go to yep. and are driving hours. Yep. People yep. of different socioeconomic backgrounds have been unfortunately not treated well in the healthcare mm-hmm. system before. And so they'll put mm-hmm. off getting healthcare until it's really too late. Now they're in the intensive care unit. So we really felt that there was a space to create options that really met the needs of patients better and opened up that opportunity for get, for them to get the care when and where they need it the most.
0: Yeah, I, I would just assume, and I'm not an expert on it, but I would assume almost every, not every, like 80% of the patients you would see in the hospital, they're always saying, Christine, when can I go home? When can I go yes. home? When can I go home? When can yes. I go home? When can I go home? Yes. Constantly, constantly. <laughs>
1: yes. And because technology has really advanced, so my co-founder, she worked in the cardiothoracic ICU at UCLA, and when we were taking care of some of her first patients, she, you know, she was used to these super intense on ECMO multiple drips. We're seeing these patients and she was asking me, she's like, "Would these patients be in the hospital?" And I said, "Yes, you know, unfortunately a lot of these patients in the medical unit are getting once a day antibiotics, once a day labs." and then for 23 hours they're sitting in a super expensive bed isolated from their family at wow. risk of infections mm-hmm. you know the hospital unfortunately we need hospitals but it's not a benign place for people infections happen adverse events mm-hmm. happen and so mm-hmm. you know that's what was so intriguing about this model is this model had been rigorously studied and by every metric that we cared about in healthcare all of those quality metrics and safety metrics were better when patients got care in their home mental health scores were better and then the key for me was the cost of care was 30 to 40% lower. So it's like, okay. we, uh, we have the four right. leaf clover of healthcare, like literally in front of us.
0: Wow. Yeah. Why not do it? I, I would, I, um, I want to get into the costs and things and get into some specifics, but I was also thinking, is it true? Is there a stat on this? Do men in general not go to the doctor and not go to the hospital? the they they wait longer than they should. Are they worse about that than women or do you have a stat on that? I'm just curious. I
1: think, I think the stat is a lot of it is for the preventative care. Um, not necessarily the acute episodes uh, of care. It's still about 50, 50 in there, but, uh, I, unless you ask wives that are going to be listening to this in which the case will say, absolutely. Steve.
0: Um, <laughs> I mean, I hear that. I hear that. You know, <laughs> heard that. You know uh, I mean, there was a guy, I just, what, there was a case right here in Johnstown where a guy, uh, he was an old, older man down the street. And, uh, his foot got infected and uh toe got infected or something. I can't remember. And he, he, he wouldn't go, he wouldn't go to the hospital. Yep. yep. Waited too late. Killed him. <laughs>
1: yeah. Right. And so this is someone who says, Hey, I don't want to go to the hospital, but I know I need treatment. If someone yes. will come to my home. Yeah. I'll take treatment. I want to get better.
0: It. You could have yeah. saved it. Guarantee it. He's a perfect example of that. I guarantee it. Yep. Perfect example. Okay, how does it? Yeah, the financial. Well, all right. Before we get into that, maybe we just do an Origin Healthcare overview. Let's do a let's do a quick elevator f- pitch for everybody that's uh, hasn't heard of it or doesn't know. Go ahead and give us the give us the overview first, and then I'll hit you with some more specifics. Yeah.
1: So some of it's come up in our conversation, but really, Origin Healthcare. So we're a tech-enabled healthcare company. Our goal basically is to move care out of the high-cost facilities into the home, where we know that patients. We'll get better quality, we can improve access to care, and then significantly lower cost of care. And we do this by partnering with different organizations and helping them either by bringing the clinical team, the platform, and the technology to basically allow their the patients to receive high acuity advanced care at home, similar to what you would get in a hospital setting.
0: You said organizations. Do you mean hospitals? Do you mean insurance groups? Do you, would, would yeah. you Both? So our customers, right,
1: our end users are the patients. Those are the ones that we really want this service to apply. But who's going to pay for this, right? Because patients don't typically outside Mm -hmm. of their their co-pays pay for this. So a couple of our partnerships, we partnered early with self-funded employers. So we have already 14 self-funded employers in the region who basically have created a payment mechanism for us to do this care. And let me step back. You know, One of the things that we were talking about is this showing such great quality results, such great. Savings? Why wasn't this right? Your listening staff. Why? Why haven't we had this before? Why yeah. is Australia, Italy, what Spain? Why have they been doing it for decades? Well, yeah. if you look at what's happening there, right? They have more universal health care, where there's better alignment between. We need to figure out a way to improve quality and lower cost. Our payment insurance system here in the U.S. is problematic. Um, so this fee for service, there was never a way to capture hospital level payments outside of a hospital, um, but we've worked with some of us are self-funded employers who have their own benefit plan. They can allow us to receive payments that would be on par with what you would receive at a hospital, but we significantly discount that. So now, now the employee is getting a significant employer's getting significant savings and their employees getting better outcomes. So we're creating payment opportunities for this model that had not previously existed. And then COVID opened up those opportunities because Medicare now has also put in place a waiver that is allowing payment through the end of 2024 in this sort of pilot period of time.
0: Okay, I, I'm going to ask some some questions that I, we want to apologize for ahead of time because I, I'm ignorant to some of the language, uh, but no, it's I'm going okay. to assume some of my listeners are too. <laughs> when you say self-funded employers are able to do this, can you give me some give me an example of some that are like self-funded and some that aren't, and what's the difference? Can you explain yeah. that a little further?
1: Yeah. So a lot of right, a lot of the US gets their healthcare from their employer. Okay. So their employer could have a traditional plan where they're basically, I'm just for a hundred employees, they pay premiums for those a hundred employees for a traditional insurance company. Okay. And then there's, you know, the employees have their copay, their deductible, everything else. Yeah. What we're finding though is that, you know, especially as healthcare costs rise in the double digits every year and those employers are facing a 20% you know, premium increase year after year, especially not seeing the value, is that these plans have moved to what are called self-funded plans. So they basically said, we're not going to pay premiums. We're going to set aside a percentage of, you know, make a little bank account, essentially, of healthcare funds that we're going to pay. So Steve, when you go to the doctor, we're going to pay out of our bank account. We're not going to be paying a routine. This way, it allows them to control their costs. They're actually paying only when healthcare is being used, essentially. About 60% of the employee employer groups actually have a self-funded plan. That way you can actually create benefit plans. You can decide, I want a wellness benefit and I'm going to add a gym membership on and this is how I'm going to pay for it. Mm. I'm going to add on origin so that my employees can get hospital level care at home because a traditional plan wouldn't allow that. Some some places say, hey, if you need a back surgery, we've worked with a Center of Excellence. It's not even in Colorado, it's in another state, but their costs and their outcomes are better. And so we're going to pay. So they basically get to create their own plan to really drive value and lower those costs and create benefits to their employees that are really meaningful and that they'll use.
0: Why wouldn't every company do that?
1: Why wouldn't you? So <laughs> I think some people are fearful and there's a, so there's a, something called a stop loss, right? Cause you wouldn't want to say, Hey, I'm going to get bankrupt. Essentially. If you know, I have a bad year and all my employees use healthcare, there's a stop loss. So you'll hit a ceiling where you say after this, tr- you know, insurance will kick in. So you won't bankrupt your company. So <laughs> It's new and unknown. I mean, it's not new. I think for, if you haven't heard of it before, it feels scary, but a lot of the brokers will say, you know, most companies should be moving to self-funded plans.
0: And Kaiser yeah. and United healthcare and those guys, they hate this, right? Cause they lose business.
1: So, so they, so <laughs> like a, a group like United, they work in the self-funded plans acting as what's called a third party administrator. So oh. you still see not need someone to process the claim. Now, whether having a traditional insurer be your TPA or have an independent TPA and deciding sort of who yeah. whose interests are being best served, I think I'll let that sort of sit as a debate for everybody. Yes. Um, but yes, it's um, like I said, I think there's more and more companies that are going to move to it because companies can't be competitive anymore when you're spending so much money on healthcare benefits that people don't end up using and then don't get you the value. If this is a way that you can align yourself with groups where you're going to help improve your cost and- increased value to your employees.
0: Interesting. Uh, yeah. The, my question around Kaiser and United and things like that is, I, as I'm listening to you, I'm trying to figure out who your enemies are, right? Or who's 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 like who who's not going to like what you're doing because it's Everybody a loss for them. To. I don't know. If, I know yeah. enemies is not the right word. I'm kind of half joking. But I mean, you know, if, if you're cutting into somebody, somebody out there, I'm sure is like, Whoa, wait, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. This is hurting our business, I think, right?
1: So uh, obviously self-funded employers love it because
0: this yeah, is, we, we don't course. charge a
1: per member per month. Yeah, so this is like, you, you are going to automatically save. And when you're talking about hospitalizations, I mean, that's like a $6,000 to $10,000 savings for a single hospitalization. There's very few benefit levers that an employer can move that even if just one of their employees uses it, will yield that type of benefit. Wow. Um, the other partners we look at is we're looking for working with, The clinicians, the primary care groups, especially as more of them are moving towards value-based payments where they're taking on the entire episode risk, where an insurance plan will say to this practice, we're going to give you the cost of what we think it's supposed to be for you to manage your 100 patients on your panel. If you manage them more efficiently, you get to keep that extra money. If it costs you more, then you can't come ask us for more money, right? Mm -hmm. And so these groups are really looking to say, where can we you know, help improve quality for our patient population so that we can manage that cost efficiently. And since hospitalizations are the most expensive episode of care, we can come in and help partner with those. Insurance companies, you can think again, hey, let's lower premium costs, help drive patients to our plans. Hospitals is the one that people will pull up most often as they must hate you. Uh, But again, there are hospitals have been under such stress lately. They're already full, they're at capacity. There's actually a consulting group that works for the National Hospital at Home Users Group that I'm heard of that has oh. and McKinsey just came out and built this amazing return on investment because I think Steve, the stat that was most surprising to me is that it costs two to five million dollars to add a single bed, one bed to a hospital. Really? So if you can actually not build a tower and say that hospitalizations are basically a level of care, not a location of care. Then we cannot spend that capex on building new big shiny towers and put people in an environment where they're getting better care and where they want to be in the first place. So, so when it's the, sort of shifting the mentality.
0: When the hospital executive calls in like, Christine, you're cutting into my business. So you just you're like, hey, look, here's the McKinsey report. Just look at this. <laughs>
1: yeah. Here, here's the ROI. And then, you know, some of the value-based metrics that they get dinged on nowadays for readmission, poor patient experience scores, hospital prior infections, all of those metrics are better. When you get your care at home, so if you can help a system avoid the penalties that they get incurred, so fifty percent of the hospitals get readmission penalties each year. So if you can okay. think about how can we partner with the system to help improve your metrics in a way, you know, I think you know people will say that ultimately where hospitals are going in the future is that it'll be an emergency department, an ICU, and surgery. Right, everything else we know can be done safely. We're we're seeing that more and more care is moving to the home. People because of COVID are more comfortable getting care in the home technology mm-hmm. with the ability to monitor vital signs do telehealth visits the hospital is going to look very different in the future and so this is that early movement towards sort of the redesign of healthcare.
0: when are they gonna i don't want to go down a rabbit hole here but just really quick when are they going to have some sort of machine to where i can prick, prick i can do a blood draw or a urine sample stick it into a little machine and not have to go to a building and wait for the results. When, when, is that already, is that already available?
1: They they do. They do a lot. There's more, there's more and more being done in the home. So there's phlebotomy in the home where you can actually do your own lab draws in the home. Uh, There's, you know, these total body scanners in the future, right? The Jetsons, we're going to walk into our home and you know, the body scanner is going to tell us what's going on in our body and what we need to do.
0: And it's going to give me an injection automatically. I don't have to go to the W yes, please. I want (laughs) one of those right now. (laughs) <laughs> i need a machine i need that machine now today
1: <laughs> one or two more years one or two more years uh,
0: that will be so awesome i mean there's hey i, I love do you know dr Kennisburg, johnstown greeley hospital Kennisburg, family doctor um i Thomas as House a Kinnisberg. hospitalist
1: um i would have taken care of some of his patients yeah.
0: I mean, I'll, I'll, hey i love Kennisburg. he's great you know we i mean i've been going to him for years we joke around and stuff but so often i go to his office i'm like Dr. K, I'm like, really? I had to come in here for this. Like, you, 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 you were in here for three minutes. Like, I, you, we could have just had a chat on the phone.
1: <laughs> well, and think about the fact that you have a, you mentioned earlier, you have a jeep that you can get into. You know, think about those patients yeah. that you know are older and can't drive and don't have yes. family members that can take time yes. off work to take them Good to point. the doctor's office. Mm. So, you know, yes. let's figure out how we actually make it easier for them to get the care that they need.
0: I would think. Okay, so you are not only saving. Money for the companies, the self-funding companies. You're saving people in various ways. You're making it more comfortable for the patients. Uh, you're you're increasing the number of times somebody probably actually would be seen or get something done because they don't have to go to the hospital. Uh, so, and if they're gonna, if they can get it done at home, they're more likely to to, to have it looked at or whatever. Um, all those are great things. Uh, why? Trying to, I'm trying to figure out why we wouldn't just steamroll forward, like what what's the holdup?
1: <laughs> yeah, you know, somebody said to me, uh, this is so logical, and that's why we continue to plug away at this. This is just so logical. Yeah. Um, this healthcare system in the US, while great in so many ways, um still is not set up in a way that really truly puts the patient at center. We're in a sort of a fee-for-service world where Money dictates and then volume then dictates, you know, where the money flows. And there are a lot of players that are entrenched in healthcare that have a lot of power. um, Like like the the
0: pharmaceutical companies?
1: (laughs) Uh, Pharmaceuticals, hospitals, insurers, um, you know, they all have a lot of market power in different ways. And the dynamics of healthcare, um, I've learned a lot, Um, you know, having even run a company for 16 years prior to getting in here and feeling like I understood some of the Backside of healthcare, I've um, discovered a lot more in these last couple of years.
0: Have you had um, any? Uh, who's more powerful, pharmaceutical companies or insurance companies?
1: Um, so, I'm not going to. They're probably a tie. Um, I would also say hospitals carry a lot of power as well, too. And okay. there's more and more consolidation. You know, with right. hospital systems joining, and you know, whether or not consolidation and you know, moving away from we're we're strong proponents of the independent. Um, you know, not corporate owned um healthcare entities practitioners so a big supporter of them and think that there's a lot of value in maintaining some independent groups out there
0: have you had like uh any like uh dark cars with shaded windows outside your home <laughs>
1: <laughs> Where where is this going to play uh yeah so you know when you're when you're drawing attention to things you know there are people who you know if oh, you're yeah. Again, we, we want to partner with hospitals. We want to partner with insurers. And, but, you know, everybody's sort of got to get on this bus that we know that healthcare needs to change. It needs to move. You know, our clinicians are burning out. We saw the capacity challenges that our hospitals are facing. You know, people aren't going in. More and more rural communities are without hospitals now. I tell people, i go to these medical conferences and every year we see the healthcare spending curve that logarithmically is going off the screen. And the speaker says, we can't keep spending almost 20% of our GDP. And by the way, seeing our quality down here, this can't keep going. Mm. And yet another year later, you're in a different conference room with a different speaker showing the same. I mean, at some point we have to commit as a nation to say, we can't keep spending at this rate and not see the value. And for me, this hospital at home movement, it's its better value and lower cost of care. This is exactly what our healthcare system needs. We just need to realign people's incentives um, to help make something like this, like you said, a no-brainer.
0: Yeah. A couple more questions here. Uh, and then I want to ask about some bigger picture questions on universal yeah. healthcare and things like that. Does this include Dr. K coming to my house or just other stuff that has to be done? Yep. So we send a nurse and a nurse practitioner to the home, and then
1: okay. the physician does a telemedicine visit. We have remote monitoring where we have a watch that tracks heart rate, um, uh-huh. O2 oxygen, um, it tracks your steps, your sleep, and it's paired with a tablet I where see. you push one button and you can telehealth 24 hours a day with an uh, origin physician. Okay. We do IVs in the home. You can get radiology in the home. You can get labs in the home.
0: How do you do x-rays in the home? How does that, how do you do that?
1: We partner with a couple mobile x-ray companies. They can actually do everything except for cat scan and MRI. Although I have seen a portable MRI scanner that's in development. So who knows at some point, everything. Well, that's going to be
0: that MRI machine. That's going to be the same machine I stand in to get that I get scanned and the (laughs) injection because it's all going to be the same. A
1: built-in Swiss army knife.
0: (laughs) I want one of those right now. (laughs) Um, How do you, so you make money What's the business model for you?
1: Mm -hmm. So as a physician, when I go see a patient in the hospital, I can bill because I'm credentialed with insurances. I bill what's called a a CPT code. So I can say, hey, this was a level three visit for Mr. Jones in the hospital. And the insurance company pays me a rate that is 100 or $200 for that visit. The hospital, however, gets something called a DRG. So the hospital from the insurance plan says, "Okay, Mr. Jones is admitted for COPD we've negotiated with the hospital and we're going to pay the hospital $10,000 okay. that's going to take care of mr jones room board nursing supplies everything so what we're doing is we're saying hey we know that we can provide care the studies will show 30 to 40% lower cost of care um, we think we can do it even more efficiently than that so okay. self-funded plan you would pay the hospital a $10,000 for mr jones now you can pay us $5,000, let's say. So you're yep. going to save $5,000 to your bottom line. We now have $5,000 that we get to deploy our staff, the equipment, everything. Oh, we are not, we don't have overhead costs like the hospital do. You tend to run more efficiently. Um, and so we're basically taking hospital level payments that far exceed what clinicians themselves could capture a bill in a clinical model. And that's what drives this revenue model. So our partners our... are gaining with savings.
0: Okay, and the people you're sending to the house, the 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 experts that you're sending to the house, the doctors, the nurses, do they also have other jobs at the hospital, and they're doing this for you on the side, or are they just with you? How does that work?
1: So our goal is to always always employ the clinicians when we're bringing the clinicians because we're a startup. Um, some of our um, clinicians still work part time in other jobs, some in the hospital okay. and some other places, okay. uh, but they're employed by us. So we're not doing, um, we don't do outsourcing work. Essentially, they are origin employees for the time that they work with origin.
0: Okay. And are you us? Are you Colorado? Where Where are you in the scope so far?
1: Yep. So we launched in 2021. And so we've been working in the Northern Colorado market. So for listeners that aren't from Colorado, it's sort of the upper half of the state. Um, yeah. we've served 37 different zip codes and over 1200 patients so far. So we really learned these last couple of years, you know, what does the care team, what is the pathway, the operations need to look like? We've been building some of those relationships with the partners that we've talked about. And so we're at this point where we're looking to scale both within Colorado and outside of Colorado.
0: And have you taken on funding? What's your cash situation and are you in a current raise? What What's the scoop there?
1: So we bootstrapped and have been revenue generating up until now. So we have not taken on, we had not taken on any excitement outside funding. We opened up a friends and family round um, about a month or so ago. So we have some friends and family. We won a grant from, Uh, there was a competition here in Colorado um, for healthcare groups. And so we won a grant. And then we're, we launched our first, what would be a seed round since we've been revenue generated, even though we haven't raised, we've launched a $2 million seed round within the last month.
0: Ah, okay. I want to talk to you about that offline. Um, uh, You're still working on that seed round, right? You said launch, so it's not, okay.
1: Correct.
0: All right. Very good. Uh, now I can't, as an individual, people, individuals like me listening to this that live in Northern Colorado, they're going to hear this and go, okay, I want, th- I want this, but they can't really, as an individual, how do I get that? How do I get the service?
1: So great. So uh, the model of what they call hospital at home. So, Hey, this would be something, Steve, that you would actually be physically in the hospital for. We typically want a clinician to have said, Steve, you need hospital level care. That way you're not sitting at home with a heart attack waiting for us to show up or, you know, so we Mm -hmm. want to make sure safety wise, Hey, this is something we can take care of at home. And really for the people that pay the, the, the fee of this, they want to make sure we're not just calling it hospital at home to capture that higher rate when really it's just an urgent care level visit. That being said, we do do urgent care. So if you have a cough, a fever, a cold at home, you Uh could call origin. And we could send a team to come to see you and do your labs radiology. So the non Kaiser,
0: I'm sorry to cut you off right there, but my Kaiser insurance won't pay for that.
1: So Kaiser, we actually are not in network with Kaiser, but all the other. So if you have traditional Cigna, United, Anthem, because as a clinician, I'm contracted with them, I can come in and do that single episode visit capturing that clinician fee. It's, It's the hospital at home that's different, a different payment mechanism. And those are the things we're unlocking right now to allow those payments to come at the hospital home, okay, but, but we are yeah. doing those visits at home. We're doing visits when people are coming out of the hospital facility. It's a really yeah. high risk period of time. And one of the things I just want to make sure I do say is that, you know, the care that we're giving, we're giving high level expert care. There's this massive benefit for your clinical team to see you at home. We're finding out so much that we don't know about patients by being in their home environment, seeing how they're storing their medications, what their food looks like, what their social environment is like. We're able to really interact with yes. caregivers mm, and say good. what is it that you're not getting, that's that good. you're struggling mm, with? Mm, There's so mm. much benefit. So mm. we're getting you better in that acute episode, but man, we're doing so much that's going to mm. keep you healthy in the long run. I I've worked in the hospital my entire career until now. It has been eye-opening to me how much wow. we don't know about patients.
0: Yeah, that's a great point. I want to clarify something though, really quick. So if I live in Northern Colorado, as long as I don't have Kaiser, and I want to be seen at home and I don't want to have to go to the doctor, I can go to originhc.com, log on or call. Call us. Yep. And and as long as you're partnered with my insurance, you'll send somebody here. Exactly. As long as, again, if you have um, a broken leg,
1: like we, we don't have ortho on our team. So there may be still diagnosis. Okay. Okay. that we can't take care of. Okay. Um, okay. and right now, just again, we do 18 and above. We don't yet have the ability to do pediatrics. Okay. Um, we're looking to bring that on, but right now we don't do peds.
0: Okay. One more question. Uh, my, I know what my wife's going to say. She's going to say, yeah, but I like the, I like my doctor. I don't want to see a stranger. Well, how do you respond yeah. to that? So yeah. it's the same, it's the
1: same question we used to get when the hospital medicine, like if you got admitted to the hospital, you would be seeing me instead of Dr. Kindesberg. Um, yeah. and so we only want to we want to partner with your primary care. We don't want to take the place of your primary care. See. This is, again, for people that are acutely ill, a lot of times it may be hard for them to get to a doctor's appointment. Family may have to get daycare for their kids if they're going to you know, go sit for half a day in the urgent care. So we're there to help for those people who are struggling getting the care in the time that they need it. But we absolutely don't want to take the place of a primary care team. We want to partner with them, be their eyes and ears in the home, help them when they don't have the ability to bring a patient in.
0: Okay, very good. Are there others doing this? Do you have competition? You don't have to mention on the competition, but are you up against a bunch of other people? Are you first entry into this, this whole thing or what?
1: So there are a couple of other big groups that are, you know, really well funded in the last couple of years who okay. were, um, there's some that are in the home space that are looking to develop the hospital at home component. We came in with the hospital at home being our first. And there okay. are others that they partner just with hospital systems. So they don't have the option to bring the clinical team in like where we are. So we're, again, we're saying, hey, we want to be able to partner with self-funded employers with value-based provider groups. So we have that wider market adoption because we haven't used the hospital as just our anchor point.
0: Okay. Do you have a personal uh, whiteboarded plan? Like I'm going to grow this until X and sell it, or, or right now you're just having fun building it?
1: Uh, we're definitely having fun building it. We believe in the model that we've created. We have amazing quality outcomes and we have a 97% net promoter score. So we feel like this, this model is so needed. The space and the market opportunity is massively open at this time. And so okay. our, our big goal now is finding those people who are ready for this and that want to partner and we want to be off and running with it.
0: Okay. Right now, technically you're, you're still in control, right? Of the company for, yeah. on, the, on the on the cap table yes <laughs> okay uh very good that's probably a very good thing uh you know as soon as somebody hands you a hundred million dollars it's going to be different but you know right. you know you it's don't have one to of the reasons
1: it's one of the reasons we bootstrapped initially is to try to really have the time that we needed to create the program um the way we wanted
0: to yeah very good okay excellent um originhc.com um yep. I want to ask you a couple of big, pickers, big picture other topic questions before we run out of time, can I? Okay, absolutely. Because uh, you're a doctor, and uh, and I just want your your insight on this. And um, you, you may not want to answer, so you can just let me know if you want me to cut this out. <laughs> okay. Um, as a doctor, I'm just curious. Like I said, if you don't want to answer this, I totally understand what is your short answer on short two minute answer on how COVID was managed in the U S did we do good? Did we do bad? Did we, would you, what would you have done differently? Do you have any, I mean, I'm just curious. I know you were in it, you were in it right. When it was going down, just Mm -hmm. curious, what were your thoughts? Like when you reflect back as a doctor, what do you think?
1: Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it, we were at a period of time that, you know, they'll be writing about us in the history books and you know, most of us never want to be in a period of time in the history books. Um, so none of us would have experienced a pandemic before. So all that being said, I know that everybody tried the best that they could do. Um, it was super chaotic. I think, you know, this goes back to just basic business. Um, you know, how do you run a business and how do you keep people? It, there was communication breakdowns along the way. Um, people stuck with sort of their you know, this is how we always do it, and weren't able to think outside the box in a, mm-hmm. box in a way that created, you know, safety opportunities. You know, again, having to fight for PPE um, mm-hmm. and not be able to bring our own in—that was one of the, you know, statements that we got is we couldn't bring our own PPE in, but yet we weren't being given it. You know, things like that. I think, I think, if a lot of ways that you know we should have fallen back from a from a leadership standpoint. That being said, the people on the front line, amazing. Amazing, um, and that means frontline in the hospital, frontline in the grocery store. I mean, all the people doing the work. I think there's a lot from a leadership perspective um, that people need to take back at the government level, at the business level, that all need to reflect on. I think the individuals that were out there doing the best they can, again, you know, have families at home, kids all homeschooled, still trying to work. I mean, so many great stories from that period of time. But I think it's it is definitely a place where people need to pause at a leadership level and think how they could do better.
0: Okay. Next big big picture question, last one, then we'll wrap up. If you had the power and you could make the decision, would you make the U.S. universal healthcare like some other countries?
1: Um, so, no, not specifically universal. I do think we need to move like more towards that. This is where I'm tethered at. I'm a capitalist by nature. I think there's competition. There's something to be said about competition and sort of making everybody step their game up. We're right. the only thing in town. We're the only utilities. And I've lost power five times in the last year in my home and you have no <laughs> option. So uh, there's the business side of me that says, I think a little competition is always good from the actual healthcare delivery side. And when you look at, again, this model of care being successfully used in countries that have universal healthcare, where they have had to close that gap and say, we need to figure this out quicker because we can't continue to spend our own money at this. And if you look at this from an equity lens, we are not, we are not doing well from a health equity lens. And the way we have mm-hmm. our healthcare system structured mm-hmm. and everybody passing the buck or looking for a one-year ROI to their shareholders, mm-hmm. we will not see the needle move in equity the way we do. So I lean more towards the universal healthcare system, but I would love to see at least maybe two players in the space to drive a little competition so that people don't get
0: complacent. Okay, very good. This is the answer I hear most of the time because I interview a lot of people from overseas. Commonly, I will hear something like this. They'll say, hey, look, for normal day-to-day stuff, small things, regular doctor visits, you know, things like that, universal healthcare, great. Yeah, no problem. If something major happens, I want to come to the U.S.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's true, right? Uh, it, that that is the issue. Even people that I know in Canada, so they come down to the U.S. You know, yeah. to get their emergency care or something else. So, what would happen if we we didn't have that safety valve for everybody? So, as I said, I think we need to move away from what we have today, more towards value, more towards the long, you know, looking at the long game for okay. patients and equity. Um, but I don't think a single payer system would give us okay. the outcomes we wanted.
0: Christine, I admire what you're doing. You're uh, you're up against some some big players and some big spaces and changing big things. I, I love it. I mean, I admire Thanks. what you're doing. It takes a lot of guts and courage to do that. It takes a lot of energy to be a CEO, a startup CEO. Uh, and now you're getting into your cash raise, which is almost like a full-time job.
1: <laughs> yeah, thank you very much. I, I could not do this on my own again. My family is amazing. My co-founder, Jory, The origin team, like this is not me um, on my own. I'm I'm blessed to be surrounded by people who make me want to be a better person and give me the support I need to do that.
0: Thank you, Christine, for sharing your story. I really appreciate it.
1: Thanks, it was great to meet you.